we, we learned this new routine. Every night before we would go to bed, we would start, um, we would get literally get on our knees and we would pray, Lord, we know that you love Josh a lot more, more than we ever could in a way that we can't. But we also know that you know where he is right now. And so we're going to place him in your hands and we would, we would lift our hands up and just physically and emotionally and spiritually hand our son over to the Lord. And we found that we could sleep. And that was where we found our peace was in that prayer each night before we go to bed. Thanks for joining us on The Glass House, a podcast hosted by LifeWay. We're having important conversations with ministry leaders and their spouses in order to reach and encourage you in the ministry right where you are. These conversations have been reaching thousands of people all over the world, and we are so grateful. Could we ask you, if you're enjoying this podcast, would you leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to the show? It helps others find us and keeps the ministry going. Lindley, this topic is so important to our listeners. We're hearing back from people as we've said, hey, we want to know topics you want to discuss in the future. Our listeners continue to say, can you talk about kids, primarily difficulties that pastors, pastors' wives have with their kids? Well, and the reputation of a of a pastor's kid. Pastors no doubt feel a pressure that their kids turn out as exemplary individuals in the world. And we know, we see all their stuff. They're just like us. They're broken. They have problems. We worry about one particular kid, maybe, that you know has a rebellious streak. What are they going to do when they grow up? Are they going to stay in the faith? Are they going to walk in the truth? And we were talking about this on the drive on the way here to the podcast studio today. There is a reason why the parable of the prodigal son is the most famous story in the New Testament. It resonates with us on a personal level because we all remember seasons where we strayed away from God, but also we fear this for our kids. But I think it's popular because it doesn't relate just to ministry families. Everyone who has children has the fear of having a child who who strays. I mean, we just within the last few days have heard of three different children who have strayed and completely left the faith and quickly, I mean, just quickly left. So, I mean, that's a really popular story for anyone who's despairing and they need they need a they need a Bible story quick. So, you think it's magnified when pastors' kids stray? Absolutely. Why is that? I think when we when people have a platform or on the stage, we take comfort in a in a weird way that their kids have flaws too. When a public figure is exposed, something happens in his family or her family. The general public, whether they admit it or not, celebrates the fact that they have problems too. It makes them feel like better about their own problems to know that he has problems. So if a pastor has a problem with his kid, People secretly kind of talk about, well, yes, we can feel better about our kid issues too. I think that happens. I mean, I think too, we we find comfort in it and we also find a way to blame the parents, which I think is really unhelpful. Absolutely. I mean, what happened in that household? I wonder what the backstory is as if children don't have their own free will to make a bad decision. So this subject is very important today. And I think the conversation we have around it Uh, will hopefully comfort those who are in ministry who are having some challenges with their kids. On the Glass House today, we have very special guests, Lindley. We do, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) These are friends of ours. This is Rick and Sally Lewis, who were on staff with us at Storyline. Prior to that, Rick pastored several churches. 
And they have an incredible story about really a redemption story of what it was like to lead in ministry while one of your children was walking through a hard season. So Rick and Sally, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, we're excited about Yeah, thanks for having with you us. Guys and we're, we're out with you. I also want to say right at the start that Josh, your son, who we're going to talk about, gave his blessing for this conversation. We're also going to add his voice to this story. So nothing that's said here isn't without his blessing. But could you guys just kind of back up and tell a little bit of the Josh story in a few minutes and what your family went to went through? Because we think there's a lot of pastors and wives out there that are maybe walking through a similar season with a child and not sure what to do. Yeah, thanks for... Uh allowing us to be able to tell the story. We're, we're humbled by being able to do that. And uh, Josh was our firstborn child uh, out of four children. Uh, we raised our kids in a typical pastor's home. Uh, like most pastor's families, we spent a lot of time at the church. We spent a lot of time doing uh, church activities during the week. And our kids were right there with us. They, they were part of the church. They were a huge part of church, church life. When Josh entered into high school, we took a new ministry position in the city of Denver and the church was growing and it was doing really well. And then very unexpectedly, um, we lost our senior pastor to an automobile accident. And that was uh, a big event in everyone's life. You know, needless to say, that was a really painful event mm. for that family. Um, they were very dear to all of us, but that was an incredible part of it for uh, for them. And it became a very difficult event uh, in the church and the church's uh, life and in our family as well. As a result of what happened there, uh, I was thrust into this uh, leadership position in the church. And it was a really difficult time in ministry. Uh, it was it was really hard, and eventually uh, we left the church, and then we moved to another church in the city. And at this time, Josh was entering into his latter years in high school, and this was really hard on him. I mean, here we were now in a matter of about uh, three to four years. He was in his third third high school, and that was just really difficult. And so. Between the grief of losing uh, our pastor and a friendship, along with having to leave the church and how we ended up leaving that church and, and the difficult season that we were going through and the relationship with that church, it really led Josh into this struggle hmm. of being connected to church and, and his relationship with God. And he called all that into question. And that sort of began that big change in his life that he went through at that time. I think it's interesting how trauma <clears throat> affects every person. And we don't even realize it till years later how traumatic something was. And uh, I can just tell by this event that it really affected Josh in ways that were different than even maybe everybody else. Yeah, as we discussed this season with him, he definitely, um, on his own, went back to that place and um, it definitely was is part of this story after high school so we had made the switch and, and then Josh um, graduated high school and we sent him off to college thinking that's the next best step and um, the college that he went to was a total disconnect he did not um, he did not 
connect with the people. He, and he came home feeling, I think, very defeated. And he came home feeling the only thing that he really knew that was life-giving to him was music. And so that's what he wanted to um, pursue. So he um, had found success with that, and that was where he wanted to go, and that was the affirmation that he was feeling. And he, and this is one thing he shared with us that we just learned recently, was that he was feeling so lost and overwhelmed with what I think all kids do after high school. What what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And when he started thinking, well, I want to pursue music, he didn't feel that he could come to us and feel that we were a safe place because what he wanted to do with music was not what he thought we would approve of. Mm. And so he did not, he kind of quit coming to us about it. And he went and started to pursue some other friends who shared the passion he had, but they were not friends that we would have chosen for him or approved of. In fact, he was hanging out with these other friends and one night he left and he didn't come home for a whole week. Mm. And we didn't know where he was. And when he finally did come home, he announced to us that he had decided that this group of friends and him, they were going to move to Athens, Georgia, create a band, and they were going to attempt to break into the music world. And that we really didn't have any say in it. Well, we did not give him our blessing. We, we absolutely did not approve of that um, choice. But that's he said, well, that's what I'm doing. So he left and he went to Athens, Georgia, and it was at that time that he um, went down a path away from the Lord, away from the church, away from his family values. Their band was actually really good, and they were playing in a lot of bars regularly, and his lifestyle completely changed. Mm. There was a lot of drinking and a lot of, we don't really know what. This was pre-social media even. So you weren't like seeing all this on, a lot of this you didn't know until I'm guessing later. Oh, no, there was, it was definitely pre-social media. We didn't know anything. There was a lot of complete silence. Yeah, that, you know, that was, that was part of the hard part was we didn't know what was going on. Right. I mean, we were, we were in the dark about where he was at. And so your, your mind can go to places. Sure. You go, where, where is he? What is he doing? Josh, tell us what brought you to the decision that you wanted to leave the life you had to pursue something else. When I decided to move away from my, from, from home, um, I, I really kind of, in a sense, I ran away from home is how I saw it. My parents and I only spoke once or twice a year on the phone. Um, and I think, I, I think they would pay for me to come home for a holiday. And uh, I actually didn't want to see them. Uh, I was very angry with them. And the reason I was angry with my family was, I think I could just boil it down to, I felt gifted in the arts. I was a musician and I, I am a musician still. And um, I felt like that's, that's, this is who I am. And if you guys can't accept who I am, um, which I, I see a lot of that as kind of loaded language, uh, personally, uh, if you can't accept who I am and what I am, then I, I have no choice but to leave. And so I kind of, for me, that was leaving the faith and leaving, uh, I, I felt a rejection, I think, from the Christian faith and then it, because it was attached to my parents. And so, um, 
That's, I mean, I think that's the main thing. I think the other thing just to kind of just pretty lightly, I mean, I, I think that I grew up reading the Bible and um, I think I was reading my Christian community through a really judgmental uh, lens growing up and just like I, i'm reading the book of acts and none of you people look like these people in in the in the new testament uh incredible generosity towards one another humility uh loving one another you know just uh it, it sounds really idealistic when you read the new testament i think as a young jaded man i i did not i i hated kind of what i saw in the church and i you know to i i, I can see that from a different light now I think some of it was judgmentalism. Some of it, you you guys know, churches aren't perfect, and uh, I think it made me angry just to see, like, ah, whatever. It's a lot of pressure to be a perfect kid, and you want me to be something that I believe that I'm not. I'm I'm a musician. I'm an artist, a creative, and so I have no choice but to to leave and and to go and do my own thing. And so. Um, I think that that's 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 kind of what it boiled down to for me. But I think a couple of things have changed. First of all, you know, I I was growing up in the '90s, and I I do feel like the at least the Western Church has made some good ground in some of the ways that we understand how to relate with culture. Not all parts of secular culture are bad. We shouldn't just demonize everything. Um, but I do think that's what was kind of happening in my household growing up. It was just so I felt very boxed in for as a creative, you know, if you're going to make music, you can literally only be a worship leader. And here's your options, Josh, be a worship leader or a choir director, of which I hated all those things. To speak more generically, I want to make art and you guys want me to make terrible art. Uh, (laughs) And no, I don't want to do that. Uh, So ironically, I love love Nirvana still, but uh, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I, I think about children in just even outside of the, the, the creative realm, I, I think our culture is very loaded right now with the this idea that you need to go and find yourself and um, kind of this journey. I, it's like it's depicted in every single Disney movie. The hero must go out and figure out who they are. And uh, I think I, I grew up really believing that and I felt very trapped by... Um, the Christian culture that said the only thing that you can be is this thing that I don't like and so I must leave. Yeah, we, we would go for long periods and not hear from him and it was during this season that Rick and I found this new inability to sleep mm. and you know, you go all night and you don't you don't really know what your son's doing. I'm sorry. But um, we, we learned this new routine. Every night before we would go to bed, we would start, um, we would get literally get on our knees and we would pray, Lord, we know that you love Josh a lot more, more than we ever could in a way that we can't. But we also know that you know where he is right now. And so we're going to place him in your hands and we would, we would lift our hands up and just physically and emotionally and spiritually hand our son over to the Lord. And we found that we could sleep. And that was where we found our peace, was in that prayer each night before we would go to bed. Josh, how does it make you feel when you hear that story? Like what feelings run through you when you hear her talk about that? 
when my mom shared that with me when I was uh, running away from faith and running away from my family, I hated it. Um, at that point, I, I thought it was annoying. And I thought, mom, like, I think in that, in, in that time, again, kind of for me, I, I wanted to be released from what I felt like were the claws of my parents trying to kind of box me in. Uh, you'll hear a theme in my language here uh, to, you know, to control my life, um, which ultimately I, I can see now is they, they wanted to, to love me. They wanted good for me, uh, but it felt like boxing. In. So, but when I hear it now, Ben, I, I love it. I think I believe in prayer. I think those prayers were really meaningful. And um, I think they really landed in, I mean, I, what else would you do? You know, she would say, and I, I believe her. She was like, I don't know if you're dead in a ditch. Like, I mean, I, I was drinking and, and uh, kind of going pretty wild and I'm not speaking to them. If that was happening with one of my kids now, I, I'd be praying. <laughs> I would hope it would, you know, be really increasing my intimacy with the Lord, you know? Um, so I, I love that that's what my mother was doing and I just appreciate it. So I was gone about three years um, and I mean, something I think to stick to say here, uh, and there's a phrase people use now of, of, uh, um, deconstruct, deconstructing people, deconstruct their faith. And, um, we didn't, <laughs> when I was, when I left home, no one was using that term at all. Um, but that was definitely what I was doing. And I think people, you know, to me, this is my, my personal reality. Um, I think people leave or deconstruct or completely deconstruct their faith uh, for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's church hurt. That's some part of it. Uh, I think sometimes it's just full on people don't just, they want to live in a sinful way or a way that's, that's different than what the Bible is calling them into. And uh and so I, I think it's both of those. It can be hurt and it can just be rebellion. And I think for me, it was both. And so I was gone for, for three years because I wanted, I wanted to live a life different than what would uh, coincide with biblical living. And so I had to leave. Um, and then um, and I, also, I also was really hurt by some things that happen in church. And uh, some of the church culture just seemed ridiculous to me. Um, but yeah. I think one of the things I've seen parents do when a child goes down a journey like this is they blame themselves and they bring a lot of shame upon themselves in terms of what could I have done different or what did I do to push him down this road? I'd be interested to hear from the two of you. Like, did you walk through that? Did you have to get some help on your own to kind of walk through that depression of feeling like you had somehow caused it? Sure. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was right with Josh and, and that sought forgiveness with him about those certain things. Um, but then you also begin to, uh, to wonder, you know, being a pastor, uh, okay, am I qualified for ministry? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's shame and guilt and, you know, am, am I still someone who can do this? And so I began to seek other pastor friends and ask them that question. I went to leaders in the church and I began to ask them that question and saying, um, you know, are you guys good with me continue to lead you as your pastor knowing this story? And we were very fortunate, you know, um, everyone that spoke into our life 
you know, begin to encourage us and say, um, you know, by all means, you know, look, this is a real life story. And actually God began to use this kind of in a, in a way that we hadn't seen and that we felt a freedom to begin to share the story uh, with our people in certain ways, you know, we were protective of how we shared it and the specifics, but we shared it. Everybody knew we were walking through it. And so it actually made us real hmm. uh, to other people. Um, hey, we're parents just like you are, and we're not perfect. And we have kids that are struggling. And I think it, God used it in a way that we didn't see in that time that, that made us, uh, you know, a lot more yeah. touchable with the people that we're trying to lead. I think that um, the thing that I found interesting as we revisited this story with Josh and just reflecting back on it and telling, and you know, just the title of this podcast, the glass house and his, his words to me were, he said, you know, there's really not a way to tangibly express how that affected me as a child. Mm. And he, he reflected back on a time when a missionary was in our church and he was sitting on the front row with, a bunch of other kids and they were just, you know, messing around or whatever. And he called Josh out and said, one day you're going to be a pastor. And Josh thought, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And he hated that he had been singled out amongst all the other kids. And he did not like living in the glass house. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of, at that point in his life had a little bit of a, probably more of a introvert personality and that, and that affected him in a way. And so as I look back on that, I think I don't have guilt that my son was raised in a pastor's home, but maybe not being sensitive enough to know and notice how it was affecting my child yeah. at that time. And so I, I think that's, that is something I maybe to consider as raising kids in the, in the glass house. Allie, I think that's so interesting because um, I've never thought of it until that story you just shared because Um, You know our children and our three sons, and I can't tell you how many times people have come up to them, and I don't think it's ever even crossed my mind, and they said, you know, your daddy is a great preacher. Which one of you is going to be a good preacher? And, you know, none of them have that desire at this point. I mean, you know, the Lord could certainly change their heart, but that's not who they are at this point. And I think they feel pressure because— but I, I had never dawned on me until you just said that because I could see their faces processing it, but I didn't even check in with them to say, you know, did that, what did that make you feel like? Um, and so I do think it's little things like that that people say innocently that puts pressure on them to think, well, but that's not the path I want my life to be in necessarily. I think just to be a pastor's child, even if no one ever singles you out or pe- and I don't know, we, we like church culture has changed over the years. I don't know how often pe- people, I do remember saying stuff like you know, people would say, you're a pastor's son. You should know better, which is the worst thing in the whole world. Like they're whatever. They're just a kid. Um, but I do think even if no one ever said that to a pastor's child, I do think there's still just a feeling, a weight of being in a ministry family that children feel. And I think I, I like the name of this podcast. I think it's accurate. I think the family at large feels like they're being watched. And um, I don't know. I don't know if I know how to counsel into that, but I do think it's, it's just something to be aware of as a family, as parents, like, Hey, people are looking at my kids and my kids may just at least feel it. And they're, they probably think they need to be self-righteous 
and put on the show of being really good all the time. And I, maybe just to take some of that pressure off every once in a while, you know what? Hey, son or daughter, it's a, you know, we all sin. The, you know, the gospel, you preach the gospel to, to your kids and we all, we all need the grace of Jesus. You do too, even though you're a, a pastor's kid, like you don't have to nail it a hundred percent of the time. I remember a missionary from uh, somewhere in Asia coming and sharing, and it was actually at a church service, not just in front of my friends. Um, I would highly recommend against this. <laughs> uh, he just he's he said Josh, and he like called my name, which I mean is I I I'm actually even pretty against that. Um, I think just. I mean, this is my opinion. I think pastors should be careful about just speaking about their children in general. Maybe I'm not, maybe not never, but I don't know. Be very tender in that space. And he called, he called me out and said, Josh, you are going to be a, a missionary one day. I, I know you're going to be. And I just, I remember saying out loud, no, I will not. I'm in defiance against this guy who's speaking at my parents' church. And uh, I, I remember just feeling uh, like again, the same theme. Boxed in. This is the this is your course set before you. You don't have a choice. Um, and so, the way I see things now is, I think it's great to be to have an identity given to you by your family. I think that's biblical. We want you know we want to give our kids a strong Christian familial identity. But I think that you giving your kids a little bit of breathing room. Um, that felt too specific, like it would make Macbeth or something. Like this is going to be the outcome of your life, and you have no choice. I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> um, as we talk about emotions, a lot of the things we talk about in the show is just the different emotions that people experience in ministry. What would you guys say were some of the emotions you felt along the way? I mean, I hear fear for sure. There was a lot of fear. Oh, for sure. Would you say that was the dominant or what would be some of the other emotions? Well, um, there's hurt. There's hurt because you, um, hmm. I mean, you're hurt that your child is not calling you. And I mean, all of the investment that you put into a child when, when they walk away, there's hurt and fear of the future. I mean, we all desire to see our kids thrive. And it's not that we desired that our child had to go and be a church planner one day. It wasn't that we, we want them to thrive. And um, just as a person, um, I think, I think there was a lot of sadness um, just feeling this cloud that it's just ever present mm. in the shadows that just over your house. And I mean, we certainly attempted to um, still laugh in our house with our other kids. And, and, but, but Rick and I, Rick and I definitely felt that cloud, um, over, over did, the house. Did you um, get comments from people in the church ever about, I mean, did you ever hear of like backhanded comments that people may be saying, or were they generally pretty supportive? We experienced that they were very supportive. Mm. Um, I, I can only imagine that in some churches, um, that might take place. You know, Josh was not raised in the church that we were at at the time. So mm. I think we were able to keep some of that not in the forefront of what everybody knew. But um, I think for those that did know, we kind of found that it was 
we could be transparent about our lives that just because Rick's a pastor doesn't mean that we don't have problems in our lives and that we're not going to experience the same type of parenting problems that, you know, other people do. It, it's just, a, it was an opportunity for us to be real that, you know, be real with the people that we were doing life with and just honestly to make the gospel real for us and hopefully for people to see that we're trying to work through this in a way that, um, mm would be honoring to the Lord. And at that time, of course, we have no idea the end of the story. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to walk through it. But, but no, our, our church is, our church was very supportive and very loving. And I, I, I would hope that most people would experience that, but I don't imagine that that's always the case. And I, I think that for the most part, uh, we found that people want to give us the benefit of the doubt because they knew us. Uh, but you, you, you always are wondering who out there is not telling you, Hmm. Uh, um, and you, and so that's whether that's true or not, or if it's just the enemy kind of hanging a cloud over your shoulder, bringing shame and guilt into your life, which I think can, is probably the bigger part for most uh, pastors in this situation. It's not really what somebody else is doing or saying, although you can have that person for sure say the dumb and clumsy thing. But I think for the most part, it's the enemy kind of hanging around wanting to breathe uh, death into your life yeah. and make you feel more guilty about it. Pastors and ministry leaders, pastors' wives, struggle with fear around their kids. They look into the future and they think, if one of my kids goes off the deep end, will I spend the rest of my life blaming myself for it? I chose this life. I chose this occupation. I put them in a glass house under scrutiny. So was it my decision that ultimately pushed them away from God? And we look at other stories about PKs, and there is this connotation around it of, yeah, he's a pastor's kid or she's a pastor's kid. And there's almost a, an idea that, and they're going to struggle in life because of it. So I think everyone that gets into ministry feels a vulnerability here. We've learned this is danger. This is dangerous. And then we see other pastor's kids who do walk that road. And when we see our one of our kids go through a season where they seem completely uninterested in the church, mm -hmm. the first thing that goes through my head is, oh, we're going to lose that one. Mm -hmm. He's not going to follow the way. When he could just be going through a normal teenage phase phase of hormones. For sure. Uh, but we see these sensitivities in our kids and we carry them really close because we know the danger involved in it. You know, we found that kids pick up on how they're being treated, yeah. whether it's too lenient or too strict. And an example of this story is that when we were visiting churches here in Nashville, we visited so many churches and we came into one group and wanted to see the youth ministry and went into the area and um, nobody said a word to us. And then off to the side, we could see someone kind of talking to you, kind of pulled by his arm, talking to the youth pastor, saying who we were. And then he just came over there and gave us the royal treatment. And Ava Mandrell does not like to be treated special at all. And she so saw right through it that he was now motivated to be interested in them because their dad was a leader of Lifeway. And it was really hard on her. I mean, she didn't appreciate it. That kind of duplicity that our kids experience in ministry is just par for the course. We can't protect them from it. And I think it, it causes us to feel concerned that if we stay in this environment, if we stay in this atmosphere, is it going to damage them? Because you do have three other kids in the household, 
and when Josh is going through this journey, how did was did it affect them? Were they too young to be affected, or were they very aware of what was happening? Well, our um, youngest daughter was so young that we did everything we could to protect her from what was going on. So she didn't know so much about it. But um, Josh's two brothers definitely could see it, and they could see it up close. And um, I remember walking in and seeing Jeremy sitting on a chair and weeping Mm -hmm. over his brother. And um, Jacob was telling us the other night, he said that he used to wonder when he was younger that if we had rules – you know, that we, that we had put into our kids' lives, that they were there just to keep them from doing the good and the fun things in life, and that was why we had them. <laughs> but when he started watching Josh, and he saw Josh chasing after this freedom, he said that he saw that that freedom actually was enslaving Josh, and he wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so really, their, um, their response to Josh's journey made them to not want to do that at all and made them want to hang in with the values that they had been raised with. So eventually, after about two or three years of Josh following this lifestyle, he called us one day and he said, Dad, um, I'm ready to come home. He said, I'm I'm not the man I want to be, and I'm coming home, and first I want to get right with you guys, and then I want to join my brother who had moved out to California, who was a part of a church in California, um, where his life was thriving, and he could see how God had his favor upon his brother's life. He said, I'm going to go out there, and I need to get right with God. Hmm. Of course, we said yes, and he did all that, and so after some spending some time with us uh, and and having a a good rebuilding of our relationship, he then moved out to California, and um, it was just an incredible time. He moved into a church called Cornerstone Church. Francis Chan was the pastor. Our son was uh, doing some uh, ministry there with them. He was around a great community of believers. And some of those men came around Josh. They began to see Josh's giftedness and his potential. And they began to surround him and um, encourage him and build him up and mentor him. And they began asking him to do some ministry things with him. And that's where everything began to change for him. Hmm. And so uh, that is where Josh truly put his faith in Christ. And um, in fact, he asked me to come out there and uh, baptize him. And um, it was a great opportunity for us. And so he found a new passion for God's word. And he entered into Bible college there. And interestingly enough, here's what happened in this redemption story uh, Josh had always struggled in school. Hmm. Uh, his mom was always having to help come alongside him and help him. Uh, but now all of a sudden this, this new passion for God's word and what God was doing in his life, he began to make A's in school and it was just really fun to watch. And uh, now God's goodness and his grace, Josh is planting a church in Denver, Colorado with his wife, Courtney, and their two children. Uh, ultimately, I just I, I actually remember feeling miserable, and uh, I you know I I definitely resonate with the the prodigal son where I, I had a moment where I was like why why in the world am I choosing this? Guys, I worked at Panera Bread and I got fired. I didn't have a car, <laughs> and I I played in this crummy rock band, and I I cared about I mean I'm sharing about caring about art and music. 
some of the, the music that we were making, I was becoming really unhappy with. And I just thought, this is, what am I doing? Just like living in a dive bar is uh, not what I want to do with my life. And so, and I think, I, I think probably because of the prayers that my family was praying, I, I just, I came to a realization, this is, this is stupid. Why would I live this way? Um, so I, I actually now, I talk about that as a moment of God's grace in my life. I'm grateful that, that God didn't have me succeed. He didn't let me become famous. And uh, I, I actually have a few friends who are really, I mean, I won't name them, but like have made a killing in music. And they're, they're very well known in the industry and making tons of money. And uh, I don't think they're happy and they're not following Jesus. And I, I look at that and go, I'm so thankful that never happened to me. When I decided, I called my parents and said that I, I want to be done with this. And my parents, uh, I don't know if uh, they remember this, but they had a moment. They, they kept saying to me throughout uh, the time that I was uh, running away, or the time when, you know, when I was gone, my parents would say to me all the time, uh, Josh, the moment you want to move back home, the moment you change your mind about the way you're living, we will, we will fly you home. We will help you out. We will, um, we will do whatever we can. And I, I always heard that, and I was always a little annoyed by it because I could tell they were pressuring me to do something. But um, when I actually did feel like my life bottomed out, I, I called them and I took them up on the offer, and uh, and I think that was the beginning of me thinking I, I, I need to change some things. And um, you know, I, I'll just say I. I started to realize that I had uh, accrued some uh, some issues in my own life, some some just things that I was uh, a little addicted to, and just some problems I was working through. And I started to call my brother, and he just started to share the simple gospel with me, and uh, and ultimately, yeah, I I did receive jesus and uh my dad baptized me uh when I, I think i was 24 years old so what would you say to a family out there that's a little discouraged hearing your story because they have prayed and prayed for this ending and it there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel i know you said don't give up but as as families have clung to you guys and said, give us some hope. Is there a passage of scripture or is there something you might say to somebody listening today to encourage them? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the passage of scripture that I think that a lot of parents cling to is uh, Proverbs 22, six, train up a child on the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. And, and, and here's the reality. I think understanding that's not a guaranteed promise. It's a proverb. It's it's a general truth, um, but it's not a guaranteed promise. Mm-hmm. While we have a role to play in their story, um, God is sovereign over their story. It's it's not the weight for you to carry. It's mm-hmm. not the burden for you to carry. They're making their own choices, and never take for granted the power of God. Uh, I would just say, God can do amazing things, and and. Uh, hang on to that hope and that belief that he can. And I think it strengthens your faith and 
and your children watch you as you even continue to do that as, as you walk with them. I like the saying that we often take too much credit when things go well with our kids and too much blame when things go poorly. <laughs> I think there's some truth in that for all of us. I think one thing that Ben and I have been learning as our kids are now teenagers and getting to an age of making their own decisions is that it's hard to watch your kids make a bad decision and watch them have to deal with the consequences. Um, and But they have to. I mean, they have to. That's what we've learned. Um, you know, even with Ava being a senior, as she makes decisions, some of them we wouldn't make. And they're not, they're not moral decisions, but just things that we think, well, we probably wouldn't do that. But it, she's not going to learn if we don't let her. But it is hard to watch your children do that. And I don't think we understood that when they were younger because they didn't make as many in, decisions that would have consequences. So, I mean, it's encouraging just to hear you talk about continuing to push through and pray through and continue to parent. I think things that my parents and I'll say even my family did right. Um, I can say it succinctly. I just, I think it's grace and truth. Um, I have other friends that also have left the faith and I've watched their, their parents journey with them and seeing how I've, I've seen this play out a number of times in my own life with other people. Um, but for me, I, I think I returned to faith. I, I think I came to faith in Jesus because I experienced grace from my family. And so kindness, I, I think they were trying to affirm the few things that they could see in me that were actually right or good. And uh, I think they did do a good job of that. But then they also, you know, it made me mad that my mom told me she was praying for me. And it, it made me mad in the moment to, for them to say, hey, we think some of the how you're living is not right. Um, but I, I don't think that it matter. Like, I, I don't know if I could say one thing. Like, I just think I, it's not good to just avoid speaking the truth to your children. Um, I just don't think that's ever good. Um, but someone could lean too far either direction, and that, that's hard. And I think that takes a parent being guided by the Holy Spirit, you know, like when to pull the grace lever and when to pull the truth lever. That takes uh, some some beings led by the Spirit. And so, but they did both. My brother, uh, this is really funny to me. My brother had found out that I had been drunk uh one night and we were out to some diner he and i and uh he i remember he he found out in the course of that evening we were out in the parking lot and he like cussed me out he his lip was quivering as he spit out these few curse words at me it was he was mad he was mad that i was living that life and it, it affected me and i think it's worth sharing with people that because i think oftentimes people um correct someone and share truth and it doesn't go the way they hope that it'll go and they think well i did the wrong thing i shouldn't have shared the truth and that moment i carried for a lot of years and like um and i i didn't respond well in the moment uh you know and, and that's just i think that's hard um, but you you have to have moments where you say hey i want better for you uh, son or daughter and, and call someone into the truth and share with, with them that you think it'd be better for them to follow Jesus and, and to live right. And so I think that the combination of those things uh, was a lot of why I, I and plus I loved my family. And so I, I wanted to 
to come into faith. It seemed attractive ultimately at the end of the day uh, to come back and like, I want to follow Jesus. This would be better for my life. I would tell a parent that, that has a, a child who's uh, wayward or prodigal or maybe doubting or deconstructing. I don't know what word to use. Uh, I would tell them that um, that the Holy Spirit must be their guide, first of all. I, I think that, um, again, you kind of, you got to decide in the right moments when to say truthful things or when to be silent. Um, I think there's moments where you should go and like, you know, I think celebrating the good things that they do actually do. And sometimes that's really hard. Um, I mean, I'm, I was playing in a band that we had, you know, like swear words in some of our music and my very Christian parents are trying to be supportive of their son playing in a, in a kind of wild rock band. Um, like, what do you do? And they came and saw me play a couple of times. I could tell it was really awkward, but, um, I think the little things that you can celebrate in your, in your child, it's really worth it. And I think you need to celebrate your child and remind them that you see the things that are, that are good and beautiful in their life. Um, and then I think deciding uh, in moments to share the truth with them is really important. I think avoiding that is to your detriment. Um, I think it can feel really tempting to just, you know, I've seen other parents that just, that they just buy their kids a bunch of stuff and they just, they think that their job is just to kind of win them over by um, only being nice constantly uh, and kill them with kindness. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I, I don't think that's wise personally. Um, that's what I would say. And I think, I think prayer is, is really underestimated in our culture, even in our church culture. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I, I one thing I was thinking about with my mom, I, I was chatting with her about this podcast. Is I think, um, yeah, I, I'm a parent now, and um, I think the thing I noticed, I'm a parent and a pastor and a prodigal. I'm all the things, aren't I? Um, but I, um, I notice. I think there's a huge temptation to want to control the outcome of your child. And um, I think that if <laughs> I want to speak this and preach this to myself, that that I think we all really need to, uh, as as Christian parents, we have to remember that that our kids are ultimately in the hands of the Lord, and uh, that and att attempting to dominate or control who they become is, I think, it's a foolish, uh, it's a fool's errand. It's it's not a good plan in parenting. I'm not trying to write a parenting book here. I just, to me, it seems even, it seems against the grain of, of the gospel and the biblical narrative. Like, I think we train them, but we don't control them. I think we, um, we try to present the, the good things, the grace of Jesus, the beauty, uh, living it out, living out the ways of Jesus in front of them. And obviously, when they're really young, you know, you correct them. Um, I'm, I'm very pro <laughs> correction. I don't think you just let your kids figure it out. But um, I think, yeah, I think uh, to me, the reckoning I want to do in my own spirit is to not try and control them. Like I don't own the destiny, 
destiny of my children. And so um, I think my parents probably had good moments of that and bad moments of that. They're, they're human. Um, and that's a really hard thing to not want to control your parents, but it's, it's what I would want to challenge parents with. All the years of being in pastoral ministry, what would you say for you is one of the most difficult things about living in the glass house? I think it is our children, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably the, the, the greatest one. I'll never forget going to a, ch uh, to a church. One of the one of leaders pulled them aside and, and started kind of correcting them rather sternly and said, you should know better than to not tuck your shirt in. You're the, you're the pastor's kid. That's right. And and so, you know, we laugh about it now, uh, but that was real. They were just kids. And so, I, you know, I, I ended up going to to that person and said, "Hey, I need you to understand. They're they're just kids. They're not they're not doing this ministry like we are. And so, uh, we need we need you to, to treat them differently and handle them differently." Hmm. We even experienced that at school because we. Um, one of our ministries was in a town that was, um, you know, about 15,000 people. And so a lot of people knew a lot of people. And I went to a parent-teacher conference, and the teacher let me know that, and she was proud of herself, but she had corrected one of my kids for talking too much and said that they should know better because their dad was the pastor, you know, of the church down the street. And and I, I was obviously not happy that he had been <laughs> pointed out in front of his entire school class. But anyway, so yeah, that just, it just kind of never went away. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that parents that live in a glass house have to have to watch out for that and protect their kids. Because mm -hmm. as, as you can see with our son, our oldest son, that, that was life impacting for him. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons this subject is so raw for pastors is we know our kids get treated differently because they're our kids. And as we observe that, we're afraid it's going to mess them up in their lives. They're going to always feel like they were held to some higher unrealistic standard because they grew up under a pastor's home. I would say that it can go both ways, though, because we had some experiences of preschoolers who they wouldn't discipline them because they were the pastor's kid. And so the child can raise up to be entitled and spoiled like they get away with Things that other kids wouldn't get away with in the church, like running up and down the halls or, you know, jumping pews. So I think that is the hard thing with PKs is that it can go both ways. There's not a there's not a standard of he's just a child. So we discipline them all the same kind of way. That's a really good point. I remember Jesus addressing the Jews and saying, you think because you're children of Abraham that you got a ticket to heaven. Your, your descent makes you special when really what God's looking for is a broken and contrite heart. I think there can be a mentality among kids that, hey, I'm the pastor's kid, so I get some pretty special treatment and I'm kind of a big deal. We had to tell preschool teachers, hey, this one, we know he does blank and we're going to need you to watch that because we're trying to control that. And if he gets away with it here, you're undoing what we're trying to do at home. So what we're saying is pastor's kids often get put in a special category, mm -hmm. which can be both you know, constructive or destructive, but we worry that it's going to mess them up as adults, mm -hmm. that they're going to grow up and resent or look back and wonder, what would it have been like if my parents did something normal? We put so much pressure on us as parents in ministry in the glass house because we know what could come, but I feel like if we could let ourselves off the hook, 
it would be so much easier in life because knowing that it, it really has nothing to do with us. I mean, we can parent, we have four children and we parent them basically the same way and they have very different personalities. You think some of this is if someone's a fitness trainer and you see their family and they're all out of shape, you question whether they know what they're doing. <laughs> I think in pastoral <laughs> ministry, <laughs> we are told in First Timothy 3 that we should manage our own households well. And, you know, if I'm up on the platform trying to preach, you know, how to live your life and you see in my own family that my kids have problems, are you going to question my credibility? Am I no longer qualified to teach because my kids have problems? What is the best thing about having lived in the glass house? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I can just answer quickly. Just seeing lives changed and yeah. seeing yeah. and seeing that God gave us the privilege to um, share the gospel with people who desperately need Him, mm-hmm. and and seeing what impact that had on other people's lives. And so, for me personally, I, I know that would be my very quick answer. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that you know we all we, you make. Uh, sacrifices uh, for the gospel. I think you guys, you guys know this. There are things, there's cost. You know, Jesus said, there's a cost for following this, uh, for following, there's there's a cost for following me. And, uh, you know, if that's the greatest cost that we had to pay, I mean, it's, it's pretty, um, that's pretty small, quite frankly. Um, I know that's not true for everybody. Um, we were, we were okay, quite frankly, of, understanding that we were living in a glass house and uh, we were able to deal with most situations, but just seeing people and lives change and uh, that, that was worth it for us uh, to be able to answer that call and live that life. So here's my last question. Imagine your parents are driving down the road listening to this podcast because they probably will be. And I'm sure this will be very redemptive for them and healing, but what would you say to them as they're listening to this podcast as far as like, mom and dad, thank you for blank. Like, how would you, and like, how, or how have you thanked them for what they did for you? Um, I think, you know, I mean, I, I think I put my parents in a tough position and I, th- I think these, these situations for parents like i i don't know if people listening to to a a podcast like this might be looking for a silver bullet kind of thing or or the answer and um you know bad news good news uh bad news there's there's just not like and that and that's just that's how life works i i've just fully believe you can't control the outcome of a human being period um and that being your kids you can't control um, what happens to their life. And um, I think that prayer is probably the best thing that you can ever give your children. Um, and you also want to give them good counsel. You do want to speak into the parts of their life that you see are need correction or, or the wisdom of, of the scriptures and, and that kind of stuff. And so it's like, you know, I don't want to say that my parents shouldn't have done any of that. I think they should have, but it may not always be received the way you want. Um, and you can only be faithful on your end and uh, trust the Lord. And they may, they may or may not. I think that my parents had a very strong uh, culture of Christianity in the home. I think that um, while both of my parents are not perfect and 
even even though that is true, I think that they they definitely lived out their faith in the home, and uh, I think that again, that's probably an underestimated thing in pastoral homes too. That's uh, to me, that's the, that's the really tough thing is to to live out your faith when you're not on stage as a, a pastor. Uh, that's a big thing. My brother and I talk about how we you know we saw my my dad turn the the TV. change the channel when inappropriate things were on the the tv when no one was in the room we like saw him do it and uh, for us we were like oh you know that's that's character no one's watching you and so um i would say i think my parents really lived out faith in in a tangible practical way again not perfect but um i think we believe them you know they actually want to follow jesus um and I think that was that was a big deal uh, for for my for, for growing up and ultimately wanting to come back to Jesus. Uh, it looked it looked at least uh, a, some amount of attractive, you know. Uh, so I would encourage my parents with that. I'd say thank you for that. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, would you consider leaving us a rating or a review wherever you listen to the show? It gives us insight into what you like, and it helps others find the show as well. The Glass House is hosted by Lifeway, produced and edited by Angie Elkins Media, original music by Robert Elkins, sound engineering by Dale Sandberg, and artwork by Cameron Spooner.